You're listening to Comedy Central. June 12, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. My guest tonight, the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, is here! The first, the first. The reviews are now in for yesterday's North Korea summits. And if you thought audiences were disappointed by Solo, that was nothing compared to this. I'm very disappointed about the substance of the meeting, to be honest. I'm deeply skeptical that Kim Jong-un and President Trump are going to be besties and that this is going to suddenly change the world. If President Obama had done this, I would be crushing him today. This is the weakest statement I have ever seen uh, come out of any uh, engagement with North Korea. The president's own uh, uh, failure to really, uh, you know, crack his briefing book has really cost the United States dearly. Okay, first of all, you haters need to calm down, all right? There was a real chance this thing could have ended with a nuclear fireball. A little gratitude would be nice, okay? But as it turns out, the problem with Trump's approach wasn't that he failed to prepare. It's that he prepared for the wrong thing. You see, the world wanted a nuclear summit, but Trump brought a sales pitch. To help close the deal here, President Trump used his skills as a real estate developer. As an example, they have great beaches. You see that whenever they're exploding their cannons into the ocean, right? I said, boy, look at that tree. Wouldn't that make a great condo behind? And I explained, I said, you know, instead of doing that, you could have the best hotels in the world right there. Think of it from a real estate perspective. This man is really special because while the rest of the world was focusing on the missiles North Korea was launching, Trump's attention was on the beaches that they came from. He's the kind of person who watches Saving Private Ryan and cries for what happened to the beach. Like, what a tragedy. So much sand ruined. No. <laughs> and now, what I'm about to tell you seems like a joke, but this is completely true. Trump's big plan was to try and convince Kim Jong-un to quit his life of crime and join the dazzling world of real estate development. <laughs> and he did this by making a video for the little dictator to watch. He brought it on an iPad. And I'm gonna be honest, this video that Trump really did play for Kim Jong-un felt less like a diplomatic presentation and more like a Florida timeshare pitch. A story of opportunity. A new story. A new beginning. Two leaders. One destiny. A new world can begin today when a man is presented with one chance that may never be repeated. One of friendship, respect, and goodwill. Will he shake the hand of peace and enjoy prosperity like he has never seen? One moment, one choice. What if? The future remains to be written. I feel like immediately after that, Trump turned on the lights and he was like, huh? 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 Because I'm sorry, even if that was a real real estate video, I wouldn't buy what they're selling. Like, none of it makes sense. There's a random black guy dunking, okay? <laughs> There's a cameo from Sylvester Stallone. I don't know why. What the hell was with the horses? What does that even mean? <laughs> Give up your nukes and your country will be overrun with horses. <laughs> it feels like Trump's Pinterest just came to life. What does this mean? 
And it wasn't just the video that made this feel like one giant sales pitch. No, even when Trump tried to break down the possible permutations of the deal, he still only knew the language of a condominium huckster. I told him, you may not want this. You may want to do a much smaller version of this. I mean, you're gonna do something, but you may want to do a smaller version. You may not want that with the trains and the everything, you know, super, everything the top. And maybe you won't want that. It's gonna be up to them. Like, you know what? Let me just put you in a one-bedroom democracy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> just see how you like it. Yeah, you're gonna, if you love it, then in five years you come back and you say, you know what, uh, what do you, do you have a human rights package? And then we do that, yeah. Yeah, and then you can convert the labor camp into a wine cellar. Yeah, yeah we can work on this, we can work on it. Clearly what happened here was Trump didn't feel the need to prepare for a nuclear summit because he thought his million dollar listing skills would carry him through. And it turns out if the sales pitch fails, he knows that he can always fall back on his other skill. I think he's, I think honestly, I think he's gonna do these things. I may be wrong. I mean, I may stand before you in six months and say, hey, I was wrong. I don't know that I'll ever admit that, but I'll find, a, <laughs> I'll find some kind of an excuse. Ah, uh, truth Trump, my favorite Trump. He basically just admitted that this whole deal is as shaky as one of his casinos. Only if this thing falls apart, instead of bankruptcy, there's a nuclear war. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a Democrat serving his second term as mayor of Los Angeles. Please welcome Mayor Eric Garcetti. <laughs> Welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you. Great Thank you for be being here. here. Before we get into Los Angeles and everything that's going yeah. on there, uh, there is major news of the day as kind the of mayor day, of, yeah. of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah are you, uh, is, this, is this like a great day for you knowing that you, you're no longer gonna be nuked by North Korea? That's, that's, it's, that's it's a pretty good day for Los Angeles. Right. It's, it's a very surreal day. Yeah. Um, and if peace actually does break out on the Korean Peninsula, it helps us get back to our true enemy, Canada. <laughs> Just I, mean, I mean, have you, have you had poutine before? I have, I It's have. like an assault on your intestines. I think you're getting it from the wrong place. That's the problem. That's probably Yeah, that's if you have it right. from your coast, it's not that great. But, but if you have it from Montreal, you'll, it's much you'll, change, Montreal you'll change your poutine. mind. You'll invade them for the poutine. That's what will happen tell to you. you. We, we will do it. But uh, yeah, it, it, is, it is a good day, I guess, for LA and in an abstract way. But let's talk yeah. about the actual LA. You, you've been the mayor of Los Angeles from uh, 2013. Yep. And um, Los Angeles is at the epicenter of many stories. Um, congratulations, you just got the uh, Olympics. Yes, for 2028. Right? You're gonna be hosting the Olympics. Olympics. Right. Olympics. Yeah. Now, that is yeah. something that you bid for, that is an achievement, but you always read these reports of how the Olympics comes in and really right. crushes the infrastructure of a city or they, they leave yeah. you in debt. Are you not worried about the financial ramifications? I think that's pretty rational for most cities, but LA is a little different. I mean, we've done the Olympics twice before this. This will be our third time, first time the Paralympics. And in 1984, we saved the Olympics, turned a profit, took that money, put it back into youth sports building tennis courts at the Williams Sisters, discovered tennis in Compton. Oh, wow. Uh, Russell Westbrook, you know, uh, grew up going to a basketball league that profits from the 84 Olympics paid for. And I was 13, and it was the greatest experience of my childhood to go as a boy and see the world in my city. Right. And I have a six-year-old daughter, Maya, and I thought if I could pay that back to her generation, turn a profit, make us the healthiest city in America, and really put a point on the horizon where Americans realize we are strongest when we're of and in and engaged with the world, not closed off to it. Right. I think that would be a great legacy to leave behind. Wow. It's a really, um, it's a really exciting image. Things have changed from 1984, though. I mean, like now, 
like the traffic might stop people from getting to watch any of the events <laughs> take place. Do you have any idea of how you're going to begin to deal with... Yeah. I feel like sometimes when I drive in LA, I'm like, one day it's just gonna stop. Yes. It's just gonna stop. Yeah. We're gonna get out of the cars, we're gonna do the La La Land thing, yeah. and then... That's the plan. We're still gonna be there. That's the plan. Do you have any idea of how to, to try and fix the traffic? Well, uh, LA and cities around the country, you know, I think are bypassing Washington. We passed the largest infrastructure initiative in the nation's history. We're gonna build 15 new light rail lines simultaneously, the most since New York basically build the subway right. of any city in America, fix freeways, pave our streets, all leading up to the Olympics in 2028 and beyond. So we have 40 years, 780,000 jobs, middle-class jobs. When people feel this mixture of kind of anxiety and excitement these right. days, I call it anxiety. You know, they are looking <laughs> for like something, I'm so excited about the future, but it hurts right now. Right. They can see good jobs. They can see, you know, middle-class jobs where they can send a kid to college, have a decent home, all of those things. And finally, you know, break the back of traffic in Los Angeles. That's one number one crown I want to lose. Do, do you think that the, the jobs that you hopefully are going to create mm -hmm. from this infrastructure boost will try and alleviate um, LA's homelessness problem? Because uh, Los Angeles is one of the cities in the world that's genuinely struggling with one of the highest rates of homelessness. Um, you've called it a humanitarian crisis. Yes. Do you know what's causing this crisis? And do you have an idea of how to begin solving yeah, it? Absolutely. I think everybody on the street, and I spend a lot of time talking to my fellow Angelinos who live on the street, they all experience trauma of one sort or another, whether it's a divorce, mental health uh, crisis, whether it's a substance abuse, coming home from war, emancipating from foster care. It's a combination of trauma on our streets and the high rent. Right. We have to build more housing. This, this year, we finally saw the first downtick in homelessness after nine years of increases. And L.A. is not unique. But L.A. voters passed two measures, the two biggest in uh, U.S. history, to house homeless, build 10,000 new units of housing, right. and to give services to them. And I think this is really a national problem, and we need national leadership on it because there's a mental health emergency out there. And, you know, if, some, if 10 people break their leg, they go to the emergency room. We don't say one out of 10 of you gets fixed. Right. But if you're addicted to opioids and you're dealing with mental health issues, you go there and they say, okay, maybe one out of 10 of you get care. And that's just cruel. It's inhumane. And if we're going to get people off the street permanently, we have to heal the underlying trauma that causes them to go out in the street and build more housing, period. I guess providing housing is one solution yeah. which, which will help in one way. But you did raise the, the, the problem of rent skyrocketing. Yes. You know, LA's downtown has been rejuvenated. It's a beautiful place to go to. From a few years ago, it's, it's changed rapidly. Yeah. Are you considering any ways to try and prevent gentrification from Absolutely. coming in and rooting these people out of their yeah. homes? Displacement. There's 15 rail lines that I talked about. We had the highest ratio in the country. We're mandating that 35% of the housing that gets built around those lines is affordable for low-income individuals. So we will subsidize that by giving the land to developers, but they have to keep the rents low. That means when we build these new lines, we don't push people out of the neighborhoods where they've been clamoring to have public transportation. Right. They actually get the benefit from it, work closer, less traffic because people aren't moving further and further away from the core. So, you know, I see a generosity in Los Angeles that's kind of missing in America right now. You right. see in Washington, division, subtraction, they kind of, you know, literally what they can take away from us is how they judge their success. But whether it's homelessness, whether it's traffic, whether it's the Olympics, you know, we see in Los Angeles and other cities the true American spirit, which is one of generosity, one that embraces each other, and one where everybody belongs, especially our immigrants. It's interesting that you say that because you've received a lot of criticism. Los Angeles as a city has received a lot of criticism where they say it's one of those sanctuary cities. Right. Um, some would argue L.A. puts the well-being of undocumented immigrants before Angelinos. Some would say, we understand as a mayor you want to be compassionate, but is it fair to harbor these people when they're, in fact, becoming a drain on the city? How do you respond to that? 
Well, you know, those are dog whistles that people blow to try to divide us. Um, I'm the grandson of an immigrant that came here from Mexico. He was one year old in the Mexican Revolution. My great-grandfather was killed. And my great-grandmother did what a mother will do, picked her son up and took him to someplace safe, crossed the border, came to Los Angeles. He wasn't a citizen, but this was his country. In World War II, he left his wife and two young children, my father and my aunt behind, and fought for this country and got his citizenship as a result. When I think through this issue, I think we have to find our hearts first and foremost. What if he had been separated from his mother at the border, like the policies we have today? What if he hadn't been granted citizenship? Right. I literally wouldn't be here. Um, and I'm never going to stop listening to police over politicians about the right way to police and to earn the trust of immigrants. Right. I'm never going to stop building the economy when 63% of our businesses are started by immigrants in Los Angeles. And I guess I'm too pro-family to say we should be separating parents from their children. So I think it's really important for us to get path, past the kind of BS of the rhetoric right. and to get to the reality of this is a, a country of immigrants. Unless you're native, came, might have come and changed your ancestors, might have come willingly. We are all immigrants, and we have to get back to that generosity that this country has always been about. The, um... The, the story that you tell inspires so many people. You know, it's a beautiful story of overcoming the odds and coming to America um, and becoming a citizen. On the flip side, though, President Trump, for instance, um, brought out an African-American family who lost their son to gang violence at the hands of uh, a gang member who was undocumented. People then said in the argument, well, this is one of the byproducts of being kind mm -hmm. to immigrants. How do you find that balance between policing and asking people if yeah. they're citizens and living in an environment that is nice, you know, emotionally. We used to have a policy where we used the resource of the federal government to go after truly dangerous criminals, you know, call them the sharks in the sea, people who are murderers, rapists, and I don't care what your legal status is or not. If you commit a serious crime, we're gonna come after you. But now we have a policy that's making us less safe. They're throwing a net into the ocean, pulling out 20 guppies, scaring a father who's dropping off his children at school, going after people who are working, right. instead of going with their limited resources after the truly dangerous folks. And so I think the federal government is the one who's pushing something that's making us less safe. I'll share one quick story with you. We had a police officer. She herself was an immigrant from South Korea. Went to school uh, in Southern California, became a Los Angeles police uh, officer. And last year on a traffic stop, a pedestrian traffic stop, somebody leaned out a window and shot at her and her partner. One of those bullets hit her, luckily just in the leg, but it was a pretty bad hit. Within a half hour in this neighborhood that was filled with immigrants, documented and undocumented, they trusted the police enough that they said he went that away, told the police where to go, and within a half hour, we had in handcuffs somebody who would have been a cop killer. We protect immigrants because they protect us. And that trust that you establish allows us to go after criminals, whether they're documented or undocumented, right. whether they're citizens or not. And you're going to find criminals in any population, but we should be using our federal resources to go after truly dangerous people, not mothers and fathers and grandmothers and people who want to become Americans. And we need to fix this broken immigration system now. The, uh, the talk that has been swirling around you, understandably, has been that you are preparing to run for presence of the United States in 2020. Is this, uh, is this your beginning, your journey? I think anybody, any patriot right now, is called to taking this country back. And I think anybody who will be at least 35 years old in 2020 should be considering running right now. <laughs> <laughs> May I 
Eric Garcetti, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.